Hey guys, this is Charles with just a reminder that if you've got questions regarding this podcast or any previous podcast, uh, you can send them now to uh, questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Uh, please include your name, uh, where you're from, and the specific episode that you're referencing, and uh, I will do my best to incorporate as many as possible answers into future podcasts. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the episode. Hello. And welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We're continuing our study of the book of Colossians, asking the question, is Christ enough? We just finished chapter two, where Paul really begins to hit at the heart of the matter and addresses specifically the challenges the Colossian church was dealing with, namely the idea that they needed to add dietary laws, human precepts and practices, and extreme forms of physical self-denial to their faith in Christ, in order to be able to experience God's presence in so-called higher levels of spirituality. Paul reminds them of what they believed about Christ when they received him and instructs them to now walk according to how they received him. He explains to them that they are rooted in Christ and he is at work in them, building them up and establishing them in the faith and that they should guard against philosophies and worldviews about God and godliness that are based in human traditions and not based in Christ. He points out that they have been joined with Christ and joined in his death and now raised to new life. And now they stand before God, having had their sins forgiven and forgotten, and as such should not be made to feel guilty by anyone who is trying to get them to continue in the old temple practices of cleanliness and uncleanliness, because in Christ, they now have unrestricted access to God's presence. Today, we start chapter three where Paul challenges the Colossians to walk in the fullness of their new life in Christ. So let's get to it. Before we get into the verses, I think it is worth pointing out that uh, chapter and verse designations are later additions to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, And I mention this because it can affect our reading of Scripture, because we tend to associate with chapters some sort of ending and beginning, right? The end of chapter one, the beginning of Chapter two uh, establishes some type of transition. And while translators have definitely tried their best to divide passages of scripture in places that make sense, uh, it sometimes can affect how we read the text. Because even mentally, we can sometimes um, make an ending to one part and a beginning to a new part and not necessarily always connect what it is that we're reading. And I say all that really to, to get into now verse one of chapter three. And to make this point, because sometimes this verse, and probably more so verse two, can be taken as kind of standalone, um, out of context verses that uh, admonish and encourage believers to not be concerned with earthly things, uh, to not be focused on earthly matters, but to be focused on heavenly things, things that are above. And if only given these two verses without any other context, then that type of general interpretation and application, it makes perfect sense, right? Who who could argue that believers not setting their minds on worldly things, but instead on heavenly things is a bad suggestion. As a matter of fact, I've got a couple of wristbands uh, that literally have just verse two on it. Um, But Colossians is a letter and a letter has a flow of thought. 
and, and even though the subject or focus may change kind of throughout the letter, there is still a sense in which any part of the letter must be taken in light of the whole letter. And just because this verse kicks off a new chapter, it shouldn't be seen as a shift in Paul's overall flow of thought. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek, this verse starts with un, which is translated in English as therefore. So the best understanding of what Paul means when he encourages the Colossians to seek the things that are above and to set our minds or their minds on the things that are above um, is actually found in what Paul was just talking about or writing about, namely that self-made religion based in human precepts and human teaching that consists of strict rules that are based in severe treatment of yourself or of your body are actually powerless. They are ineffective to change the desire that we all have to indulge and to satisfy and to give into the urges of our flesh that then calls us to sin. Another way uh, that we know that Paul isn't giving uh, the Colossians just kind of a generic admonition to think positively or to just kind of think heavenly thoughts is, is that uh, he uses a contrasting phrase or image to link these things together. Look back at the text in chapter 2, verses 20. Uh, Paul says, if you have died in Christ, then you have died to the elements, the rituals, the regulations of the self-made religion. But here in chapter 3, verse 1, he starts off with, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Then uh, what Paul then indicates, and he says that our minds shouldn't be set on those worldly things, those human precepts, those uh, human teachings uh, supposedly meant to provide access to God and godliness, but instead uh, our minds should be set on things above where Christ is, Christ who is their hope, Christ who is the one who provides the access to God and to godliness, the one who has done away with all of the dietary and customary laws uh, that were observed in order to gain access to God. It is important to point out the imagery uh, as well here of Christ being seated at the right hand of God. And what Paul is doing is he's reaching into Old Testament scripture and he's bringing forth imagery from Psalm 110, where David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And much more can definitely be said about this Old Testament passage, but Really, just at a high level in, in Judaism, this text came to be seen as a messianic text uh, because David, who was king, refers to a coming king who is greater than he even is, as indicated by him referring to this coming king as my Lord. And this passage is the most quoted and referenced Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And it is used by the New Testament writers not just to point to Jesus as the Messiah, but to also indicate something else. And that is to indicate that Jesus, the Messiah, also participates in, he, he plays an active role in um, God's divine sovereignty over all things. And I think we can't lose sight of, again, this notion that uh, what Colossians is, is it's a letter, uh, that Paul has a flow of thought, and that what uh, we read now ties somehow to what has been written before and also ties to what will come afterwards. And our minds should be, when we kind of see this imagery of Christ seated at God's right hand, our mind should be drawn back to chapter one, 
for, for our convenience, the chapter designation of chapter one, when Paul really lays out, uh, a lack of better words, Christ's credentials, right? And he talks about exactly who Christ is, about him being uh, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, of being the one in whom and by whom and through whom all things that were created are created, and and just lays out that Christ is God, right? Uh, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. This is really just kind of uh, echoing that sentiment of exactly who Christ is using this Old Testament uh, imagery uh, of the Messiah sitting at the right hand of God, but then also kind of riffing on that to say that this isn't just the Messiah, but there's something also implied by the Messiah's positioning at the right hand of God, that this individual, the Messiah, actually plays an active role in God's divine sovereignty over all things. Paul then goes on to say in verse three that their minds should be set on where Christ is because they have died and their life is now hidden with Christ in God. And here Paul is reiterating a, again, a continuing flow of thought from what he started in chapter two, verse 20, that they have died in Christ to the old ways of the world and now have been raised to a new life in Christ and that their life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because remember, Paul just finished telling them that they don't have to do these extreme things anymore in order to gain access to God. But now because uh, they live in Christ, their life is hidden with them and he sits at the right hand of the father. And by extension, their life, because it is hidden with Christ, who is now at the right hand of the father, is in the divine presence of God. So think about that. He's saying that all of these things that that we used to do in order to try to make ourselves worthy of coming into the presence of God are now done away with and now find their completion in Christ. And if we are with him, if we're connected with him, if uh, we have uh, died with him and then been raised to life with him, now our lives are hidden with him and he is in the divine presence of God. And by extension, our lives are in the divine presence of God because we are in Christ as well. So we have that long sought after access to God. And so Paul right, is urging the Colossian believers to live by faith, to live by faith in the completed work of Christ, a work that is not lacking in anything, a work that is not needing any help from rituals or practices, a work that um, is not needing any assistance uh, in our human wisdom and, and our reasoning of, of things that uh, we deem as being spiritual or holy, things that we can do to kind of add to or accentuate, uh, embellish the work of Christ. But uh, Paul says that the Colossians should have faith in a work that is perfect and has been perfectly executed on their behalves. It's been carried out by the one who now sits at the right hand of the Father. Paul then says in verse four, that when Christ is revealed, then we too will be revealed with him in glory. And I believe that there are a couple of things uh, happening here. First, um, I, I just really think this is just a really practical down to earth kind of acknowledgement by Paul uh, 
basically saying, look, despite the fact that we have new life in Christ, um, that we have died to the old ways of the world, that we have access to the Father's divine presence, um, we don't always feel like we have all of that. Secondly, I think what Paul is also uh, doing is he's expanding on the statement um, of our lives being hidden with Christ that he just made in the previous verse. The the word in the Greek that is used uh, here for hidden um, and translated as hidden, when it's used elsewhere in this letter, specifically um, chapter one, verse 23, and then chapter two, verse three, it actually refers to a, a concealment. Um, that is later followed by a revelation or kind of a hidden mystery that uh, then is is revealed at a later time. And so if we kind of combine those two things, it is as if Paul is saying, look, I know that sometimes uh, you don't feel like you're walking in this newness of life as life ebbs and flows with its ups and downs. Sometimes you uh, look like you could be the 13th disciple and other times you look like you may have never even heard of Jesus. But uh, you need to understand, Colossians, that uh, all that you are and have in Christ has not yet been revealed. You have a taste of it right now. This is the 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 famous kind of uh, the already not yet aspect of our faith that we have access to some things as a result of our faith in Christ, but we don't have it uh, in fullness or completely. And, and the fullness of it, Paul says, won't be realized until Christ is fully revealed. Now, that may make us scratch our heads a little bit and say, well, wait a minute, until Christ is fully revealed, what does that mean? Because, you know, Charles, you're, you're talking about how um, all this stuff that uh, the Colossians should understand about who Christ is and about uh, what he's done. Uh, it seems like Paul is saying, you know, here is the full revelation of Christ. But I think what Paul is really saying is that the world experienced Jesus in one way when he walked on this earth, right? He, he came into the world as a babe. He grew up, he lived as a young Jewish man, as a carpenter. He started his earthly ministry, was seen uh, by some as a rabbi, a good teacher. He was seen as a prophet by others. He was seen as a miracle worker. Some looked to him as the Messiah. Some looked to him as a political um, uh, revolutionary. Uh, and, but we have not experienced him in the way he exists right now as the king in glory, right? As the one, remember, sitting at the right hand of the father in all of his glory. And when he returns, when Christ returns and reveals himself as he is now, then those whose lives have also been hidden with him will be revealed as the sons and daughters of that king, of the one who sits at the right hand of the father. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.